You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. All right, Psalm 17, (laughs) Psalm 17. We are walking through the Psalms, and we've made it to Psalm 17. Psalm 17 is interesting because it is it is not a a well-known psalm. Uh, if, if I went around the room and say, tell me your favorite psalm, I doubt anyone would say Psalm 17. It's, there's just not a lot of uh, real memorable, memorable verses in this uh, chapter. There's one verse that you'll you'll kind of take note of as we walk through it. but uh, but again, it's just not a real, real well-known psalm, but it is full of great information and a great challenge for our lives. So I'm excited about studying it. So let's look at Psalm 17. I want to read it together, uh, read it with you, and uh, we'll read together, and then uh, we will uh, pray and then jump into the study of this psalm. It says there in verse 1, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. You will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress with regard to the works of man by the word of your lips. I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity with their mouths. They speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Let's pray together. Father, we are indeed grateful for another opportunity to gather as a faith family and let your word uh, speak into our lives. I pray, God, that you will use your word by the power of your spirit to to touch us, Father, um, to inspire us, to challenge us, to transform us, to encourage us, uh, Lord, have your way in our midst, and we'll thank you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Dr. Easley gives us there a summary of the Psalms. He writes, the Psalms are about this major theme. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community 
life. And so Dr. Easley reminds us that when we read the Psalms, we are reminded over and over and over and over again that in good times or in bad times, God is worthy of our praise. And in good times or in bad times, God is worthy of our trust. John Piper picks up on the reality that these are songs. There, there is um, creative. There are creative elements to these these collections or this collection of Hebrew hymns, and these hymns, these songs, connect with us at an emotional level. That's why, uh, you know, most Christians I know would say, "Well, I love the Psalms. The Psalms are powerful. I enjoy reading them and studying them. We connect with them because they engage us in our emotions." And John Piper says, "The Psalms are songs. They are poems." They're written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And so Psalm 17 is about the the emotional state of, 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 of how you feel when life squeezes you. You ever been squeezed by life? Raise your hand. Yeah, we, we all have. And, and that's what this uh, psalm is about. And the, the major thesis that I want to give you tonight and then kind of unpack is this. Trouble, when you're squeezed, trouble is a great time to evaluate your spiritual life. Great time to see, how am I doing spiritually? Am I maturing spiritually? Because you've heard me say this many times, but when you're squeezed, what's on the inside, what? Comes out, right? And sometimes God will allow us to be squeezed to show us what's on the inside that needs to be dealt with. Sometimes when you're squeezed by life, what comes out is not real pretty or very pleasant. And it's a great time to to evaluate your spiritual life. And I believe that what David's doing here in this psalm is he's evaluating his spiritual life. He's in a difficult situation. Uh, David wrote a lot of psalms, and most of the psalms that he wrote are written in the context of trouble. David experienced a lot of trouble from a lot of different areas in his life. And we don't know exactly what situation he's dealing with here historically, but we know He's dealing with enemies, people that wanted to hurt him or destroy him. This could have been uh, one of his battles with the Philistines. This could have been Absalom's rebellion. It could have been any number of things. But he has some enemies that want to hurt him, and he's being squeezed, and he takes this opportunity to think through his spiritual life. So what I want to do is I want to take this psalm, and I want to draw from it Five questions that you and I can use to evaluate how we're doing. Five questions to evaluate our spiritual lives. So, question number one that that you ought to ask and that trouble and trial and squeezing can, can make you ask is this. How is your heart? How is your heart? Notice he says there, Verse 1, hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. He's got some trouble. He's going to God in prayer. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. Now look in verse 3. 
You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. You will find nothing. I've purposed that my mouth will not transgress. David is saying, in the midst of this hardship, God, you have tried my heart. You, you, have, you have drawn near to, to see what's really on the inside. And David says, you've tested me, you'll find nothing. In other words, my heart is clean and pure before you. As, as, as far as David knew, he was walking in the fear of the Lord. Uh, he's, he's dealing with his heart, taking the occasion of trouble to evaluate his heart. Now notice here, as he talks about the heart in verse 3, that one of the lead indicators of the condition of the heart is your speech. Notice what he says there in verse 1. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. So David's saying, my, my lips, as far as I know, are not being used to, to deceive, to mislead. They are lips free from deceit. And then look what he says at the end of verse 3. I've purposed that my mouth will not transgress. All throughout Scripture, there's, there's an inextricable link between the heart and the mouth. And here's how Jesus says it over in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So speech is a very effective indicator of what's going on in your heart. If your lips are deceitful, they're coming from a deceitful heart. If your lips are mean, they're coming from a mean heart. If your lips are full of anxiety and worry, they're coming from a worried heart. If your lips speak fear, they're coming from a fearful heart. If your lips are angry, they're coming from an angry heart. If your lips are kind, they're coming from a kind heart. If your lips are loving, they're coming from a loving heart. If your lips are encouraging, they're coming from an encouraging heart. We could go on and on and on and on and on, right? Because what's in your heart, what's down in the well, what? Comes up in the bucket. And what's down in your heart will come out through your mouth. And so David's saying, as I'm in this trouble and trial, God is testing me, showing me what's in my heart, and, I, and I'm watching what my lips are doing. And as far as I know, David's saying, my heart is clean and pure before the Lord. And so when you find yourself squeezed by life, what's on the inside comes out, it's a great time to ask the question, What's the condition of my heart? Is it clean and pure or is it just full of stuff that I need God to deal with? How is your heart? Evaluation question number two. Where do you go for help? Where do you go for help? Notice what David says in verse 6. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. He's talking about prayer. He begins the entire psalm with prayer. Here, just cause the Lord attend to my cry. He's crying out to God in his need. Then he says in verse 6, I call upon you. And he asks the Lord to turn or to incline his ear uh, to him, to hear his words. You know, sometimes when uh, particularly all my kids have been younger and I've got an eight-year-old now and my eight-year-old, oftentimes he'll come and ask me a question or come to tell me something or most times ask me to buy him something. But he'll, he'll come to me and, uh, and he knows when I'm listening and when I'm not. 
And even if I'd like to tell, or I'm listening to you, he know, he'll say, Dad, you're not listening to me. Now, here, here's the reality about our relationship with God. We never have to worry about that with God. He listens, he inclines, he turns our ear. David knows that. And so in, in the midst of David's trouble, he goes directly to God for help. So the question is, and I know you know the right answer to this, all right? I know you know that when you're in trouble, you should go to God for help, right? We all, if we were in Sunday school and the, the teacher asked a question, we'd all raise our hands and say, you should go to God for help. We all know the right answer, right? But I want to know the real answer, and I don't want you to say it out loud, but in the real answer in your life, in your heart, when you are squeezed, I mean squeezed, where do you go for help? Some people, they may have a person that they run to, and it's certainly appropriate that we have friends and, and people that walk with us through life and encourage us and are there to help get under our burdens with us, to make our burdens uh, lighter, and, and that's biblical. We ought to have that, that, that sorts of brothers and sisters in our lives. It's part of the, the, the purpose of the church as we get together because we get under each other's burdens together and make the burdens lighter. And, and, and some of us, we have that person and we go directly in. Nothing wrong with that as long as they're not the first person you talk to about your problem. Who's the first one you ought to talk to about your problem? The Lord. The Lord, right? Go to Him first. So some people have a, a person they run to, or, or some people just kind of withdraw from life, or some people turn to, 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 to desensitization. desensitization. They, want to, they want to desensitize. That's a hard word. They want to desensitize. They want to just escape from it. They, they, they don't want to think about it. Or Some people just internalize it and carry the burden on their own and try to bear up under the stress. But people deal with problems in different ways. But as Christians, just like David, listen, our immediate instinct, or let me say it like this, our default should be when we are squeezed, the first place we go is to the Lord. Like the old hymn says, oh, what needs we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now, I know, again, you, you would say, well, you ought to go to God first. Do you? Is he really the one you run to when you're squeezed by life? Or do you go to somebody else or something else or just try to figure it out on your own and just try to kind of manage the stress and anxiety? Where do you go for help? You ought to go to God. Listen, you never have to get his attention. You're his child through Jesus Christ. If Jesus is your Savior, he's your father and your friend, he'll always listen to what you have to say. Isn't that good news? Number three, third evaluation question when you're squeezed by life. Do you feel secure? Do you feel secure? And the, the other way to ask that question is this. Are you overcome by fear and worry, and anxiety, and stress? Or have you learned to rest in your relationship with God? Do you feel secure? Now, here's some of the verses you might sort of recognize uh, because they are beautiful verses, powerful verses. And it starts there in verse 7. David says, Wondrously show your steadfast Love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Then look at verse 8. 
Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. He says, from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. And so David is saying, when I'm squeezed by life, surrounded by trouble, surrounded by enemies, I, I need to remember that I am the apple of your eye, that I am hiding under the shadow of your wings. That phrase, apple of the eye, is really interesting. It's literally in the Hebrew language, the little man of the eye. Keep me as the little man of the eye, which means the pupil. That's the, the smallest part of your eye. And, and, when you, and, and there's two ways to think about this. I always read this passage and this verse, and I thought when David said, keep me as the apple of your eye, he was saying, keep your focus on me, Lord. Keep your eye on me. Watch over me kind of thing. And that's kind of how I've always thought through this verse. But as I've studied it, there's another way to think about it. And the idea here is that the pupil is the most tender, sensitive part of the eye. And we are, we are naturally prone to protect our eyes, right? I mean, God gave us blinking reflexes and we, you know, we're, you know, we're, Outside mowing, we put on glasses and we, we protect our eyes um, because our eyes are very sensitive and tender and delicate. And that's, that's kind of the take Charles Spurgeon uh, has. He writes this, No part of the body more precious, more tender, more carefully guarded than the eye. And of the eye, no portion more peculiarly to be protected than the central uh, pupil. That's, that's what he's saying there. And so whether you want to say that it means hey, our eye is sensitive and it needs to be protected or God watches over us, both carry with them the same idea that God protects us. That's, that's the idea. And then the same idea when he says, uh, hide me, verse 8, in the shadow of your wings. Old Testament scholar William Van Gimmeren says, these metaphors, apple of the eye, hiding under the shadow of the wings, express the love of God in his acts of care and protection for those who are dear to him. They just they speak of the way that God watches over us. And David knew his Bible because David got the, this verse, verse 8, these metaphors from Deuteronomy chapter 32, 10, and 11. I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, the, the Deuteronomy passage speaking of God's love for his chosen people. And it says, the Lord's portion is his people, verse 9 of Deuteronomy 32, Jacob, his allotted heritage, verse 10, he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him, the Israel the Israelites, as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. So the, the metaphors used in Deuteronomy 32 to speak of God's concern for his people is the same metaphor David uses and says, would you keep me in that position of, of security and protection? And, and the question for you is, when you're squeezed by life, do you really believe you know, a lot of Christianity is just believing what the Bible says. Amen? Do you really believe that you're the apple of God's eye? Do you really believe that you are under God's wings? 
Do you really believe, as Jesus says in John 10, that you are in God's hand and nothing can snatch you from his hand? Do you really believe that nothing can touch your life unless the sovereign God allows it? Do you really believe that God even uses the squeezing for your ultimate good, as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28? Do you really believe that? It's one thing to amen it when the preacher says it or to answer it right in Sunday school. It's another thing when you're squeezed by life to say, you know what, God, this is difficult, this is hard, but I believe I'm under your wings. And I can rest in that, right? Do you really believe that? Do you feel secure in your relationship with God? Number four, this is where God starts meddling with us, all right? Who fights your battles? Who fights your battles? Did somebody guess ahead of me? I heard a guess over here. All right, all right. Who fights your battles? Now look back in Psalm 17. Verse 13, he's talking about his enemy. He's like a lion eager to tear. Verse 12, a young lion lurking in ambush. Verse 13, arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Verse 14, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They're satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their infants. And so David is saying, I have an enemy. He wants to destroy me. God, would you arise? Would you confront? Would you subdue? Would you take care of this threat to my life? In other words, he's asking God to fight his battle. And this is, believe it or not, a continual theme throughout Scripture. That we find ourselves in a moment where we have opposition, where we have enmity, where we have people coming against us or life coming against us or circumstances coming against us that we put it in the Lord's hand and we trust him to act on our behalf. Easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. But let me just share a few verses with you. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. This is when Moses went to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let your people go. And so God sends 10 plagues, ending with the plague of the death of the firstborn son. Pharaoh says, get out of here, go. But then he changes his mind. And as the the Hebrews are leaving Egypt, uh, Pharaoh marshals his army and begins to pursue them. God gets between them with a pillar of of a fire to keep them at bay. And as he keeps them at bay, he's he's preparing to part the Red Sea so the Hebrew people could escape through the sea and on dry ground, get to the other side. And then when Pharaoh's army pursued, he would allow the sea to cover them and destroy Pharaoh's army. But before the sea was parted, the the, the Hebrew people are looking around and they say, there's water right here and back there is an army. You know, rock in a hard place. And, and, and listen to what God says to them through Moses in Exodus 14, before the Red Sea is parted. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Listen to this. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. In other words, your job is shut your mouth and let God work. 
And when we're squeezed by life or squeezed by a situation, we want to do the exact opposite, right? We want to deal with it, confront it, take it head on, figure it out, fight, 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 right? And the theme of Scripture, what David says in Psalm 17 is, God, would you incline your ear? Would you subdue my enemy? Would you confront him? Would you deal with this? Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Proverbs 21, 30 and 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Constant theme. Then we find ourselves in a precarious situation between a rock and a hard place. We need to put it in God's hands and ask God to act on our behalf. So who fights your battles? Are you, when you're squeezed by life, are you able to really place it in God's hands and leave it there? There's an old um, old gospel song that uh, I've heard sung in the African-American context. And the song basically goes, take it to the Lord and leave it there. That's good advice. Take it to the Lord. How many of you have taken it to the Lord and then you go back and get it? You ever done that before? Yeah, put it in his hands and go back and get it, right? Or take it to the Lord and say, wait a minute, I'll get this. I'll handle this, God, right? Who fights your battles? Number five, last question for evaluation when you find yourself squeezed by life. Do you have an eternal perspective? Sometimes trouble can show you that you're too... Hide in to earthly things. That, 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 you're, that you're too focused on things that one day will just pass away. Look what David says in Psalm 17, 14 and 15. He's talking about his enemies. And he, he says, they are men of this world whose portion is in this life. In other words, they, the, my enemies are people who've, who have accomplished and acquired great things in this life. He goes on to say, you fill their room with treasure. They have kids and they have grandkids. They have families. They leave their abundance to their infants. They're, they've acquired some wealth and they pass on their wealth and they have an inheritance for their descendants. This is David's way of saying, my enemies have accomplished and acquired much. But that's all they have. The things of this earth, that's all they have. But look at the contrast in verse 15. David says, as for me, I'm thinking beyond this life. He says, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The sleeping there is a euphemism for death. You know, I'm, I'm going to die one day, and I, I know that's going to happen. But when I close my eyes in death, I'll open them and I'll see your face. I will be satisfied with you in heaven forever. And the question is, do you have that eternal perspective? Hold your place, but actually, let's leave this place. I'm going to read you one more scripture and we'll be done. Uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians, New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. I want to show you an important passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that that deals with this idea of eternal perspective. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. We're going to close with this. The, the context of 2 Corinthians 4 is trouble, hardship. Paul keeps saying, we're going through some stuff, but we don't lose heart. We're dealing with some, some, some difficult things. We're being squeezed, but we don't lose heart. And why does does why is Paul able to keep on keeping on and not lose heart as he dealt with great hardship in this life? Look what it says in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, said earlier in the chapter as well. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Look in next next verse, verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, earthly things, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so Paul's saying the reason we're able to keep on keeping on when we go through difficult times is because this world's not our home. Sure, we've experienced some loss in this world. And sure, this world is hard, but this isn't home. We're not home yet. We're keeping our perspective on what's coming, an eternal perspective, just like David says. My enemies, they look like they are thriving in this world. But guess what? When I die, David's saying, because of my relationship with God, I get to see his face. And that's far greater, far better, listen, far better than anything this world has to offer, Amen. And sometimes when you're squeezed by life, it's God's way of showing you, you are too caught up in the things of this world. Think, listen to this. Things that aren't going to matter a million years from now. What's going to matter a million years from now? Jesus is going to matter a, th- a million years from now. The fact that he saved you by his grace and by his blood, that's going to matter a, th- a million years from now. The gospel Sharing the gospel with your loved one, that's going to matter a million years from now. So do you have an eternal perspective? And here's a little phrase I wrote down. And, and this, again, this is if we really believe this. But, and I've seen this in, in, in some believers, and this is really what I'm striving for in my own life. And I don't really know any way, other way to say it than this. Christians should live with a faraway look in their eyes. What I mean by that is this. Yeah, we're living in this world. We're dealing with life stuff, right? The, the realities of day in, day out living. But Christians ought to have this way of just being able to look beyond it to what's coming. Reminding, we're not home yet. It's hard, but we're not home yet. I'm squeezed, but we're not home yet. And I'm going to let this, this, this life that's squeezing me Remind me of how valuable eternity really is. Life is tough, but guess what? When I close my eyes here in this life, I open them and get to see his face. Is there anything more valuable or more important than that? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.